Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hi. I'm Susan. We are at the, we've, we've reached the end of our lecture series. This is the last one of the series. Some may be overjoyed. <laughs> some may be sad. <laughs> you know, hey, can, can I just tell you something randomly that I don't know if you realize? Sure. In one of the, the episodes of the lecture series, we're wearing, wearing shirts that are the same color. <laughs> Random factoid. Um, so I there's been a couple podcasts that I listen to who have done like in the off season of something if it's if they're covering a certain thing that is you know hot one part of the year but a little cooler in the other parts of the year. Yeah, you know they've done stuff like this where like we're gonna go and explore the history of blah 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 something else. Yeah, you know, and sometimes it's interesting and sometimes it's like (laughs) no, I just. I just want I to listen to the show that I like. The, just the do the thing. Show, not do the normal step. show. So, so are you afraid that that's what people will say about this? No, no, no. Hey, I, I mean, I don't care. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, folks. Yeah, I know. He I doesn't know. care. <laughs> you do care. care. <laughs> no, no, but no, no. In all seriousness. He it's not like it's not like because he's not getting paid. So would someone please send in one dollar because then I can tell him he's getting paid and he needs to 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 up the ante. So it's not like we're like not doing the podcast anymore. <laughs> right? Just, just, this is just this is just a temporary thing. The that oh. series, yeah. Yeah. So so people yeah. don't like it. They can and just we're gonna go. We're skip but and wait you know, until always, it doesn't say lecture series anymore. But so. we're always trying new things. We're often trying new things on the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> that was a strange introduction to this one. It's going to get stranger. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I it's wanted, Friday. I, I can tell it's Friday. I wanted to start today's podcast by yeah. talking about the ship of Theseus. What? The ship of Theseus. Okay, so I don't you know. Don't know the ship of Theseus. Which I have no idea what you're talking about. What is the ship of 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 Theseus? Yes, Theseus, the okay. uh, mystical Greek founder of Athens. Okay. You mean he didn't he wasn't really the founder? Well, it's sort of legend. It's Okay, it's, the I legend mean, we, we of the founder. We don't know. I mean, this Athens. is before okay. Herodotus. So, uh, there I have was this, no idea what you're talking. Uh, Herodotus obviously- wrote a book called The Histories. And it was really when history in sort of what we would consider Western civilization starts. Because he was the one who started writing about, okay, so here, you know, then this happened, then this other thing happened. You know, no, before then, people didn't Mm. really write, like, historical accounts of things. They just told stories. So, uh, according to this sort of legend, uh, epic something. Yeah. um, So, Theseus, he uh, rescued the children of Athens from King Minos after slaying the Minotaur and then escaped okay. onto a ship going to Delos. Oh, that's so, why it's called the ship of. W- yeah. Each year, the Athenians commemorated this by taking the ship on a pilgrimage to, De- to Delos to honor Apollo. Okay. So they take this ship yeah. to Delos for yeah. you know hundreds of years. Okay. And it's a wooden ship. 
right? Okay. So, you know, you'll get, you know, things start to rot and deteriorate. Yeah. And so when, you know, when a plank would get old, whatever, they just replace it. Okay. So, um, uh, so according to this life of Theseus, uh, the ship wherein Theseus and the youth of Athens returned from Crete had 30 oars and was preserved by the Athenians down to even the time, uh, blah, 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 blah. So they took away the old planks as they decayed, putting in new and stronger timbers in their places. Insomuch, this ship became a standing example for the logical question of things that grow. One side holding that the ship remained the same. Oh. And the other, that it was not the same. So right. the ship of Theseus is great because it's a ship that over the course of time, each timber has been replaced. So there's not a single there's original. There's not a single bit of the ship. The original ship, the ship. Ship. But it's doing the same thing and it looks the same. So and it's, it's been replaced one time at a time, one piece at a time, right? So, so at what, if, is it still the ship of Theseus or is it a different ship? It's a different ship. And if and it is a different ship, did it when did it become different? All right. So do you want to tell me what this has to do with um, the, con the the conversation we're having here? Uh, sure. But uh, you should, do you, do you have, do you have any, I, first of all, I was just surprised that you had not heard of this. Well, I have, I have. Um, or at least by name. For, for two main, for a couple of reasons. I have, that we don't have to go into here unless you want me to. I have big holes in my education, just big gaping holes of which, uh, even though I I have a <clears throat> degree, a college degree and a master's and a PhD, uh, there are these big pieces of knowledge of which I never got anything. And this whole thing, which I don't even know what we would call this, the classics or something, this is or not. This was not. I don't think history this was taught in or school. Western civilization. This is not taught in school. Oh, this is just like a thing you that hear some about. people have. Well, okay. Well, whatever. No, I have no idea. Like what Moore's law. Like you're not going to like really learn. Like maybe okay. if you're taking a class, you can learn about it. But it's just I don't know anything. Look. All the people you just mentioned with the Herodot, that guy, H guy. Uh, no, in fairness, it's because I. I took a number of classes on. Well, this like, is what I was trying to say, and, and I didn't take any any yeah. classes, nor but, do I do any. That's reading. rare. Like most people would not run into that kind of stuff. All right. So no, the answer is no. I don't know anything about this. Okay. So what's your instinct? Is it about the same what? ship or is it a different oh. ship? Mm. Well, I think there's an answer about reality and an answer about culture, and I would answer differently for those two things. Okay. So in reality, it is not the same ship, but culturally, for this group of people, it is the same ship. Okay, that's a fair answer. Uh, I'm not here to argue for 40 minutes about the ship of Theseus. Good. Um, but but I bring it up because yeah. I do think that we run into various ships of Theseus's problems in yeah in uh, our field UX, and especially when we talk about um, design systems. Yeah. Uh, in which there's a there's a lot of like uh, projects usually run one of two paths. They either do like we we have a new initiative and we're gonna we're redoing, 
you know, the way we're redoing the whole app. We're we're reconfiguring. Yeah. We have a new new something. technology, new platform based. Yeah, new we're, we're, yeah. And there's a new audience, something. something. So there's like one one side where it's like we're just going to replace the whole thing that we have. Yeah. And then there's the other thing where it's like slowly, bit Over by bit, time, we're gonna piece. we're gonna change this part, and then we're gonna change this part. Yeah. Okay. And what's sort of funny is oftentimes, you know, they. You know, you've been on enough of these projects where they do this whole refactoring and blah, blah, blah. And it's the same. It's the same. Pro- maybe it looks a little different or it has maybe another it feature. Look, maybe maybe it the under, underneath stuff is different. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe, yeah, maybe the underlying code is different, but the user interface is the same. Yeah. And so, and so there is sort of like, a okay, you did all this stuff, but like. What did you really change? What did, what did you, what did you really change? Does it matter? Then things are like so. There's sort of like a change for change stake sake a little bit, yeah. and maybe you know it's a little stretch to talk about the ship of Theseus a little bit. But I do think there's sort of a philosophical um, question about uh, when when you are changing platforms, when you are changing interfaces, when you are making changes. When um, you're even when you so do you think this applies even when you're making like behavioral design changes, which is well, as, if you're not using a new product, and most of the time, ninety percent of the time, I think UXers and other project people are working on. Even if it's a new product, it's a new product that's really just upgrading from an old product. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, an, like yep. it's okay. It's a brand new iPhone 14. Well, it's just replacing the 13, right? right so you're not, right. it's not a very, very rarely. Very is it, rarely are we working on things that are brand, brand new. Sometimes brand, we do. New. Sometimes yeah. we do, but most but of usually the time it we is don't. a replacement. It's putting a new, yeah. uh, new, a, a new, you know, piece of wood on it, on the ship that yes. was already there. That, right. Okay. People used to order the product from the website, and now okay. people still so, order the product from the website, but it's like newer. So, do you know why you're bringing this up right now? Well, I mean, we were we were eventually going to tie. I mean, our our, our topic is is to is to tie in uh, design systems and go more in depth about how they interact. Well, not design systems. I wouldn't use sorry. the word. Uh, behavioral design, behavioral design, and and different methodologies, and different methodologies, and how yes. it sort of ties in. But I but I just wanted to start with the with the theoretical question about like why is it really different? Yeah, like I mean, why why are people you know why do people use a design system or a methodology in the first place? You know, I don't I don't think we need to answer that, but just to just to keep that in mind that like. These things are not necessarily in a vacuum, mm. and things are changing. And they, it's sort of like the nature of UX and design to like change for change, change's sake, maybe in some capacity, just because the, the, the there's like a you know, you you call it a muddle, but there's also like like if you if you just stay still, your competition from a UI perspective or a feature perspective, one or the other, will surpass you, maybe. But based on what Eventually. you just said, they might not. <laughs> no, well, well, in a or in a feature or in an aesthetic or in a UI. Well, I do think. Okay, I do think Those there is there is um, in general, and this probably does go back to the model. But I will try not to introduce the model idea here. But I think in general there is a sense that things could be better. 
We could do a better job at getting people to take certain behaviors. We could do a better job than what we did now. We could do a better job than our competition. We could, you know, sell more or whatever it is. And and I think in general, I mean, how, I, I, it's an interesting question, Guthrie, because I think about my consulting career. And of course, I, I'm going to have, we're going to have a, a biased view because people don't bring us in when they think everything is wonderful, right? They bring us in when they there's something that they want to do differently and they're not sure how, or they've tried and it hasn't gone as they hoped. And so it's like, let's bring someone in who has some experience. But I think in general, I don't know, it's a great question. I'm just trying to think of the clients we have and how what percentage of their current you know, software products that they've created, would they say, oh my God, that's great. That works fine. We don't have to make any changes. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question. But I do think the whole behavioral design, you know, people want to do behavioral design because they feel they are not being effective enough in getting people to take particular actions with their products. And so the question is, are, are we missing something? Could we be doing this better? And I think, you know, the thing that we said we wanted to talk about today was um, assuming that you want to do behavioral design, how well does that or how well doesn't it fit with whatever design methodology you're currently using? So, you know, if you're doing user-centered design, if you're doing d design thinking, if you're doing agile, um, you know, this whole idea of uh, how you build in behavioral design, does it fit or are you going to have a problem? Is that, that's, that, that I think is our topic for this yeah. episode, right? Sure. Um, so Go I guess. Dive in. Yeah, pick, yeah. Pick, I'm, uh, pick pick one. Pick one and just talk about it. All right, we we let's we're going to talk about three. We're going to talk about agile. We're going to talk about user centered design. We're going to talk about design thinking. So, which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's let's do design thinking first. Okay, let's do design thinking. So, <clears throat> I mean, we have an assumption here that the people listening know what design thinking is. Maybe uh, that's. Dude, give a give a. I'll give, give a really high level, a, a real, yeah, a summary. So design thinking, very popular methodology process used all over the world by many companies, uh, started at Stanford Design School, actually started before Stanford had a design school. It's kind of was why they came up with a design school, because they came up with design thinking. Um, the The idea behind design thinking are that you first have to the, you first have to empathize with the user, i.e., do user research, um, and then you figure by doing that you figure out what problem you really should be solving, and then you um, <clears throat> frame the problem very carefully, and then you ideate on different solutions to the problem, and then you uh, come up with multiple prototypes that would solve the problem and then you test and get feedback on the problem and you do all of that 
before you actually, you know, go create anything. That is the very simplified version <laughs> of design thinking. So a lot of emphasis on making sure you solve the right problem and a lot of emphasis on, uh, you know, empathizing or doing, doing research ahead of time. So is that an okay summary? Yeah, that's fine. All right. So where does, so here's the question then. In that methodology, where does behavioral design fit or how does it fit or does it fit well? So um, I want to just remind people, because we talked about this in the previous episode, if you listen to it, we said that in behavioral design, we're paying a lot of attention to moments that matter. We're paying a lot of attention to particular moments and figuring out when someone is doing this thing and they're looking at the screen or they're having this particular conversation with um, the voice interface, what are the things that we as designers can do to encourage them to take a particular action? So now the question is, how well does having that goal fit into the design thinking method? So Guthrie, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you think the answer is? Do you think that it's easy or hard to figure out how to build behavioral design into design thinking method? I think it's easy. Okay. In theory. I don't I don't think anyone does really either of them, but you don't uh, think people do either of what? They don't do design thinking? Yeah, they do, but do they really do it in the full way that you would want them to do it? Some people do. Okay, fair enough. All right, why do you think it's easy to build it in? Um, because I do kind of think that there's a there's a spot for it in, in the process. Uh, in the process, uh, I don't know. What is the spot? I gotta make sure I got my got your terminology right. Chart here. Empathize, um, ideate, prototype, test. It's that would be the four main phases. Well, empathize, define, ideate. Yes, thank you. Empathize, define. That's why I'm looking things up here. Ideate, um, type test. There's different versions. Uh, so I, I, I think, um, I think because you, it, there's a there's an ideate and a prototype mm -hmm. phase right there. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to do BD stuff. It's, 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 it's right. Like it's right there. You can, you can put it in the ideate phase yeah. in when you're coming up with ideas and then you can prototype you and can test build it. it in the prototype. Yeah. So it's Here, sort of, there's I, sort of I, like a spot for it. There's a spot for it. And I agree with you, but I do want to say one of the things that I think is difficult has to do with maybe a philosophy more than the, the methodology steps, which is, you know, if you're doing design thinking, supposedly you are, you know, empathizing by doing research on what users really need and what the underlying problem is. And then you are defining that and then you are ideating a solution to that. And it's kind of weird because... 
you don't you don't necessarily you aren't necessarily looking at this from the organization's point of view. Like behavioral design is a combination of what do, what do people want to do versus what is what does the organization want them to do, mm-hmm. and how you can resolve that possible difference. And in design thinking, supposedly, you're not. It's not about what the organization wants to do. It's about what do these, what does the user need that the organization is going to provide for them, you know? So it's very supposedly very, I keep saying supposedly, meaning I don't really believe it, but it's, it's supposed to be very user need centric and not what the organization wants. But, you know, like realistically, right. Is the, is the organization going to go, build something that meets a user need but doesn't do anything for the organization. I don't think so. But so in a way I think there is a place for it, but in a way I'm a little worried about it. You know? Like I don't know in a design thinking in a design thinking method, would you ever come up with the idea that we should have a banner ad at the top of the airline's website to try and get people to sign up for the credit card, which was the example we were using in our last episode. Right. Would you ever, would that ever come out of that? See, I don't think so. Maybe in define, you'd have to, you have to have your define your objectives and your objectives are to cram banner ads in. for. (laughs) It wouldn't because define is define is, you know, how might we, Solve the fact that people want to compare the possible flights on their own customized criteria as easily as possible. Like that's what you're doing in the define. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think I'm here. I'll put a, what is it? A stake in the ground or Draw a line in the sand, or which metaphor is it? Uh, yeah, put a put a. I think I think it's a put a snake in the grass. <laughs> put it's not a snake in, in the grass. I'm going to put a stake in the ground and say that design thinking and behavioral design are diametrically opposed. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. What do you think? I do. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say they are. And so if if you want to do behavioral design work, if you want to encourage people to take a particular action, the only way that works in design thinking is if that particular action is totally selfless, if it doesn't benefit the organization and purely benefits the, the humans you're designing for. Which, all right, well, all right, wait, I have another question for you. Guthrie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in behavioral design work, mm-hmm. what percentage of the time do you think you are trying to design for a behavior that totally benefits the, the user but does, does not benefit the organization necessarily? It's really totally from the point of view of the user. Two? (laughs) 
Right. So I'm going to say um, that if you really are, are a, a classically trained and, and ardent supporter of design thinking, you're going to think behavioral design is a bad thing and you're not going to want to build it into your design thinking methodology. That's what I'm going to say. Okay. So I've put a stake in the ground or a snake okay. in the grass or whatever. Well, yeah, this is this is the. Uh, but I do agree with you that you it could. To... There's a place in there, but I think. So I think from a methodology point of view, it works okay. But I think from a philosophy point of view, it's it's really in opposition. Okay, I think that's fair. I think okay. that's totally fair. Okay. You know. Um... So that was one. Yeah, I mean, again, this is going back to a philosophy question. There is sort of like a, well, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, when you're talking about these different methodologies, there's like, oh, this is the way you're supposed to do it. And it's like, okay, well, this is the way that we do it. Yeah, here. that's true. You know? That's really true. And yep. it's we're just, we're just going to combine these things and mash these things up and kind of do things the way we want to do them. Yep. Right. Yeah, you know, because actually, yeah, as you say that, I was thinking, you know, you could. So, if if you if you decided to to do design thinking in kind of your own diabolical, not user centric way, and go against the basic philosophical tenets of it, you could. You could go through the whole design thinking process asking, how might we get people to sign up for the credit card? I mean, that sure. could be the that could be your focus. It could be. And you could go through the design thinking process absolutely with that focus. So and that and you might and it, I agree with you. People might say, well, I know that, you know, design thinking usually is focusing on what the user really wants, but we've ad we've adapted it, and we're going to use the same process, but not just focus on what the user wants. Right. And you could still do all that upfront empathy user research, right? To so that you deeply understand why people are coming to the website and what they want and what they expect and so on. You could still do all that, but you could still answer the question: How might we get people to sign up for the credit card? Guthrie, this is very interesting. I have never. <laughs> Did I used, win you over? I don't know. I'm fascinated. I've actually never used the design thinking process to come up with a solution to something that is not optimized for the for the users. Now I'm really curious. It might mm. be extremely powerful and work like too well, and now and then it might cross the lines of ethics. Well, this is the uh, uh, this is this is like uh, the anti problem. What do you mean? Well, there's the there's the anti problem. Yeah, I know what an anti problem is. Yeah. So yeah, so this is like very. Oh, this is like using design thinking to design the anti problem. Yeah, in some ways. Hmm. You take it from the taking it from like the sort of the opposite perspective, right? Is that okay? So this makes me want to ask an ethical question, which maybe we should not go down that rabbit hole. You can ask it, and then I can say no. Nah, let's let's just okay. Move on. All right. Um, 
if we know that a methodology is particularly effective, should we use it to do things that we want that are perhaps not good for the user? Uh, sure, but I, it's, that's, it's all going to depend on the circumstances of that kind of stuff. It's sort should, of like, should it's, we, it's a, should we admit, should we just all admit that what we're trying to do is get people to do what we want them to do, even though it might, might not be in their best interest? Well, okay. So it's a little bit like, um, like, uh, if you're going to have like a political coup, um, okay. <laughs> like, like if you're if, there. if you if if you're thinking that hey, I'd like to like you know overthrow the government or whatever, and I'm going to do that by having a legal decision that you know kind of pushes things in one direction or the other. You can find a justification, like you can find a way to have it be within the, like if the Supreme court one way or the other was like, Hey, we really want to put our finger on the scale. Yeah. You can come up with a rationale to, to, you know, to have to kind of pass or not pass basically any law you want in some capacity. Um, if you, if you're, if, if, if the whole point is to, you know, like once, once you're looking for the outcome, yeah. You can find a path there. You can find a yeah, yeah. And yeah. so whether you use yeah. the Supreme Court jurisprudence yeah, yeah. or design thinking or the UCD, like if, if the goal is we want to have this end result, which is a thing that's like not really for the users, I think it's a little process independent. Like it yeah. kind of doesn't matter what process you use. Like yeah. if that's where you're trying to get to, you'll figure out a you'll, way to get there. Well, I think there's you know, okay, I'm sorry I keep taking us down different paths, but this this is all just making me, th maybe it's just my way my brain is working today, but I would, it, this made me think about the basic dilemma we have in behavioral design and, and maybe in UX in general, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a conversation with a client and we're doing, you know, like UX strategy, you know, at the corporate level. And if you're doing UX strategy at the corporate level, you know, it's all about aligning the UX work you're doing to what is important and of value to the organization. But inherently, isn't that often, and it's still, the whole thing is, and I think this is part of the frustration for UX people. Maybe, used to be. Maybe nobody cares anymore. But, you know, the idea is, as a UX person, I'm an advocate for the user, and I want to design things that is what the user wants. But really, all the other forces <laughs> at play here, including behavioral design, are in either somewhat or direct opposition to that. And and you know, even just doing UX strategy and and aligning your UX department goals with the goals of the organization by definition means you're not aligning, you may not be aligning your UX goals according to the needs of the users. So I think this is a problem, but okay, let, well, I'll put that aside. I'll put that aside. Yeah, maybe. All right, let's talk about 
You want to talk about another methodology? Uh, sure, we can talk about another methodology. Because we talked about how well behavioral design could fit into design thinking, and we decided that philosophically it might be a problem, but methodologically it should fit in well. And now we've got the other two that we talked about was user-centered design and agile. Which one you want to do next? Yeah, let's do um, let's do UCD. UCD, user-centered design. Yeah. So at a very high level, I should give my high-level summary about what user, user-centered design is? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. You know, I we, we have a colleague that we met with last week, <clears throat> and um, I talked recently with him about the fact that he was complaining that there is, you know, there's a basic methodology about what design thinking is. There's a basic methodology about what agile is. And as you said, you know, everybody has their own version, but you could probably agree on the basic version. And he said, there's no basic version of UCD. There isn't a standard version. I don't know if that's true or not, but Mm. thinking about user-centered design the way I'm used to doing it and the way I teach it, um, I'm going to say that there's de- it's definitely easy to build in behavioral design into that. Do you agree or do you disagree? Uh, I Sure, I agree. There's a UCD, I mean, the big thing about UCD, which is why it's fallen out of favor, <laughs> is that there's lots of time for thinking and planning and scheming <laughs> and you're thinking and planning. And doing and task analysis and, yeah, and uh, wireframing and prototyping yeah, and yeah, there's, there's getting user of, feedback and iterating uh, and modifying uh, and all of that. This thing and doing that thing. <laughs> so during the um, conceptual model design part of, of user-centered centered design, you could definitely build in behavioral design stuff. During the... Uh, uh, wireframing and then high fidelity prototyping, detailed design. You could certainly build in behavioral design stuff. So, yeah, there's there's just, there's lots of lots of places to do lots of stuff like that. So that's yeah, that's why I sort of sort of think that. Although uh, you kind of think that's a bad thing. No, I know I'm not expressing. I'm not expressing an opinion about it. I'm just saying. But it, that's one of the criticisms. It's one of the, well, yeah, one of the reasons that it has fallen out of favor is. It just simply because it it there's uh, a lot to it. There's a, there's a lot. Yeah, it just takes too long, right? People get antsy. Okay, all right, but that's fast. We've agreed that it would be easy to build it in, and and based on the conversation we just had about design thinking, I don't think it has philosophical barriers. I don't think there's anything about. Well, maybe there is because, the, again, the assumption is you're advocating for the user and what the user wants to do. However, there's lots of places in user-centered design where you are making decisions based on um, the, your goals and the goals of the stakeholders and the constraints of the technology and all of that. So I don't think there's a philosophical problem. So that one was easy and fast. Yeah. We should have taken up more time on that one. But that's the answer. Yeah. No. I mean, that's 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 yeah. It, it's um. So, uh, and, I, and I think uh, I think that's I think that's why UCD started in the first place is that it's like here take this specialized skill set and thoughts and now 
spend some time thinking about how to best apply it before you move ahead. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's basically you see. By definition, you by could definition. build behavioral design into that. Yeah. Because I, I do think, yeah, yeah. I mean, and in UCD, typically, I didn't go through this, but the steps are, <clears throat> it does typically involve some user research up front, like design thinking does. And then it de- then it has the conceptual model design and then the detail design and then the testing and iterating. Those are the basic. Yeah, so, so the design thinking process is like, it's, you know, it's not foreign. Wait a minute, you. you just said design thinking? Yeah, no, I know. But so, so that's, that, that's, that's why I sort of think it's, it maybe it works because it's not, it's not, there's, there's still prototype and testing. And, well, there is in design thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They both have it. Oh, they both have it. Right. right, right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now on to the dreaded agile. <laughs> the dreaded agile. Yeah. You know how, you, you know what a fan I am. Of agile, yeah, I know. <clears throat> agile, the methodology used by ninety nine percent of the uh, uh, of design and development organizations in the world, and of course, it has to be the one I have the most problems with. This just tells you that my life is just set up to be in 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 constant conflict. I, I, why did I do this? Um. I, I I am not a fan of agile in many ways. Um, however, let's let's ignore that. Let's do the high level summary of what agile is. Well, that ought to be interesting, and then talk about whether behavioral design does or does not fit within it. So, Guthrie, who's going to do the high level summary of what agile is? Uh, you. <laughs> Let's just have you do it. All right. I'm going to say a high-level summary of the Agile methodology is interesting because there really isn't an Agile methodology. Uh, There isn't any one way that that organizations do Agile, although I think there are some things that, that the different Agile methodologies have in common. Um. But if I had to summarize Agile, I would say that it is a development process, not a design process, and that it is based on uh, uh, breaking up large projects into small pieces that can be created and implemented um, efficiently. And, te- and these small pieces can be tested efficiently and then they are uh, and managed well. And then they are put together uh, into a, a, a solution or a product. Um, and, and the idea behind it is that we, we implement small pieces that are um, complete unto their own and we build upon that making changes as we need to as we go along. And I, and I would, what I would say is that the uh, Agile methodology is all about moving fast. It's about 
um, unsticking the levers and cogs in a complex machine that caused things to go slowly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's sort of mm-hmm. uh, one of the reasons that I think that it has so much success is because, especially in an organization, if it's if things do get caught, you know, and it goes it goes real slow, um, then it there's a sort of a pathway out where you can speed mm-hmm. things up, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so popular. Because there was a lot of organizations that are like we were doing ten things a month and now we're doing twenty. This is this is great. This is fantastic. Of course, I could argue with you about this, but um, okay, no, I'm, you know, that's I think that's. But, so we're not going to debate whether the world has gone downhill since Agile came <laughs> on. Because I would lose that debate because ninety nine percent of all organizations are using it for yeah, a reason. You would lose that debate, yes. Um, but let's talk about behavioral design. Mm-hmm. So does it fit well within this or does it not fit well within this? Boy. I mean, I don't think it fit. I guess my instinct is it doesn't fit super well. Mm-hmm. Why? But not? what's uh, what are what are what are your thoughts? Well, why? No, I want to hear why you say that. Um, just because you know it's uh, you know when where is that piece where you can sort of have a long think about something? Right. really, you know, focus on, you know, because the behavioral design stuff is complicated. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not MVP, not really. You have to understand Uh, what, you know, first you have to define what you want people to do. Then you have to understand how hard or easy is it going to be to get them to do that and and what would motivate them to do that, right? And then what's the best way to build that in, and where in Agile is there for all of that, all those decisions? Right. Because it is, you know, also because it is at a micro level. And so where do you, where can you interrupt, you know, the flow, the Agile flow in order to, to put these things in? It, there's one interesting, you know, I think there is one interesting way you can build behavioral design in that I think is not a particularly effective way. But I'm thinking about, you know, the traditional uh, uh, view of A-B testing. Yeah, for sure. I, I had that I had that exact same thought as well. You know, so if what we want people to do is, I mean, let's go back to our example. We want, we, we're going to have this you know, in in our agile work, we have identified a story in which, um, and I'm using story in the agile way of using story. So, you know, we know we want people to, uh, we're going to have a, the banner at the top so people will um, click on the credit card, learn more button. 
And that's a story we're building. I mean, that's in the plan for for what we're building. And what from, you know, from a traditional behavioral design point of view, we would stop and think about, you know, what are people's mental models and how do they want to do this and what might motivate them to do this and therefore, you know, what image to put and what words to put on the button and all of that. In agile, you're as you said, there's not a lot of time and place for people to stop and think about these things and and so on uh, and and you know do an mvp and prototype it but what you what there you could do is someone could say put a picture in there of blah 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 and and let's test this picture versus that picture or or let's test the red button versus the blue button or let's test the button that says learn more versus the button that says um, you know, become a become a card holder or something, right? Right. So in that regard, it wouldn't be hard to to yeah, build it in. You'd have to be able to measure your BD metrics. Always, well yeah. That's that's easy enough to do. Although yeah. i I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. About agile. Which mm-hmm. you may not be able to answer because I don't. I'm not going to. I'm not implying that you're an agile expert. Definitely not. You know the whole thing. One of the things. One of the things about agile is that, you know, it is fast and you can iterate and you put things out there and then you collect real life data and you, then you come back and you make changes. But I really, in my in. In my experience working with agile teams, they don't measure much once it goes out the door. It doesn't come back. The it's supposed to, you're supposed to be able to like you're supposed to crank all this stuff out and then measure and then iterate. And I don't see the measure and iterate part going. It goes out the door, and the whole team goes to the next items in the backlog, and and it never comes back in the door. Right. Like nobody's even looking unless there's a major fail. I don't see, and maybe, and maybe again, it's just, I'm working with a subset. Well, I think there is some level of measuring and iterating, but it's sort of like, what is it that you're measuring and iterating? Like a lot of times I think it's like just stuff that's not user-based at all. So it's going to be like, yeah. You know bugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. You I know, agree with you. You know, yeah, uh, that that kind of you know, oh, we had code error problems or something, right, right. Um, which is not, I mean, that's on a it's on important like an app but level. It's it's not, fine, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's not like a, it's not a design. It's not yeah, a it's not, not measuring the efficiency thing. of using being able to use an interface. Um, I, but I but I do think that there's a lot. Teams are teams are not set up in most places where there is the team that creates it, and then there's the team that measures it after it's gone. Well, aren't the teams there's, supposed there's, to create it and measure and iterate? No, like they're no. empowered to do the whole thing. But they they never no 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 no. But they don't. They go on yeah. to the next feature. They go on to the next feature. Of course they do. Yeah. Um, unless, so, like you said, unless there's a big problem. And you're right. I think there is. A, I mean, I'm thinking about one particular client 
we have, and this came up recently, and there was a it was a separate team that was monitoring, you know, usage on the other side, and they brought it back. They brought something back to the original team because of a problem. I mean, it just yeah, there's just not like um, there's there's not a lot of I don't know political will to be like all right, let's redo like let's let's go back and spend time thinking about what we did and if we did it right you know there's moving on moving on moving on and then mm -hmm. leave it mm -hmm. up to the data big data data science team to, to measure to find if there's problems okay. and then that just gets added into the queue it's so it's so it's it's a little bit like an internal combustion engine you know where it's you you put fuel in and then it spins and then the wheels move and that it's just a one way. So it's not, so it's not like a regenerative braking thing yes. where then you hit yeah. the right. And then things Cycle flow back through. into the yeah. system. So having said that, then, then I would say that although you might be able to build in maybe a behavioral design thing, it's going to be difficult. Uh, if you're doing agile, you're going to, it's going to be hard to test and iterate a behavioral design aspect because you're going to have a hard time convincing people, the team, to go back and revisit something because you did measure and found out that, you know, not that many people were. That the, the the levers you were pulling and pushing for the behavioral design are not as effective as you hoped. I think you'll have a hard time changing it. Yeah, for sure. I think that's I think that's yeah. right. That feels right to me. Um, but it's also like it's just it's just you know like I said it just it's just a it's a new project then you know yeah right like yeah. it's it's just you're just not doing the you're not doing the project anymore you're just, you're doing a new project so. You know, this brings me to the fact that, and one of the, because we talked about the three methodologies, user-centered design, design thinking, and agile, and how well they would handle behavioral design work. And um, I think we're saying user-centered design handles it the best. But, but, which actually I hadn't thought through before we started this conversation. So if you had said, all right, what's your answer? I wouldn't have known I was going to say that. But it doesn't surprise me that I'm saying that. And you have a smirk on your face. Because well, just, you, yeah, sure. you know I love user-centered design, and so I'm probably going to settle on that. But I do also want to raise the issue, because a while ago, you and I put together a behavioral design methodology, a specific methodology for doing behavioral design work. Do you remember that? Yes? No? Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, and, and, I, and we, uh, yeah, we have it. We have a behavioral design methodology yeah, we that do. we use. We mm -hmm. But it, I can't say it's, you know, it is not in wide adoption like design thinking <laughs> or agile is for sure. Yeah. And that's um, okay. And that's okay. But I think, you know, one of the reasons we did that was we knew that there were some things about behavioral design that were special and unusual. And I think if we could just take one minute to highlight just some of the things, you know, if no matter what methodology you're using, if you want to do behavioral design, there are a few key pieces in here that we found were important. And one of them was 
um, early on, you have to, uh, I don't remember exactly how we worded it, but it had to do with um, truth. Do you remember that? Like what's really going Mm -hmm. on? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And what is it you really want and why? Because we found sometimes uh, people aren't being honest. the the organization or the stakeholders that are working on this are not really being honest right. with themselves about what's really happening. Right. Uh, and you're going to have a hard time changing behavior if you don't really know what the behavior really is right now and you don't really know what you want it to be and why. And it's, I, I, there's, you know, organizations aren't always good at facing the truth. So the more you face the truth, the the better this, the better the behavioral design process is going to go, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that's really important to do early on. Another thing we found and is built into our behavioral design method is being really specific about what is the behavior change you are seeking. What's happening now? And what is it do you want? And making sure that's measurable, right? It has to be measurable. So it can't just be, oh, people will like doing this more. Okay, what does that mean? And what is the behavior you would see that would tell you that they do like it more? You got to get away from, you know, things that are impossible to measure and turn it into what's measurable. I think this is some of the most fun part of behavioral design work, but it's also some of the most challenging. It can take a while for everyone to agree, okay, here's how we would really measure that. And, you know, it's really easy to fall into, oh, well, here's some data we have. Can we use that? Oh, well, okay, but that's not (laughs) measuring what we're talking about at all. So why are we going to use that data? Well, we have it, you know, okay. Um, So figuring out, what it is you want people to do and how you would measure that. And do you have that in place that you could measure it? And then I think another um, piece is that, you know, once you've got all that and then you figure out what is it you could do, what are the levers that you can pull or push in order to get that behavior? And then, and then the whole thing, I mean, you've brought this up many times when we teach our workshop on behavioral design these things are nuanced. Sometimes it's a quick thing, do this instead of that, and there you go. But most of the time, it's not that quick because it depends on the particular audience. And, you know, you've got choices you're making about the different, you know, oh, are we going to use rewards? Are we going to use stories? Are we going to use, you know, social norms? And it's nuanced and you have to experiment. You have to pick the one or two that you think is, are going to be most powerful, and then you have to try it out and see if actually it really did work. And and then you have to be willing to you know change it if it didn't work. And that it that just takes time, you know, and and it takes experimentation, and you ha- you have to be willing going in to to do that experimentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but uh, but like, it's it's you know, it's the same it's the same problem, right? If if you have the time and effort to put in, you'll probably get something out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So, in summary, we have now decided, Guthrie, that if you want to do behavioral design, you should either use our behavioral design method or you should use a user-centered design user-centered design method. If you want to do it within agile or design thinking, you may have some challenges. But it's not impossible. I always think it's possible. Uh, I mean... But just, I think it's useful if you want to do it. Like I said, you'll you'll find a you know, you'll find a way to get there. But I think it's useful to know that in certain situations it might be a little tougher. Sure, sure, and, and you might need to to play around. All right, so Guthrie. Yes, we have come to the end of our. Uh, Series, our series of uh, our series of series, and uh, we're probably going to do more series in the future. But I think it's going to be maybe a while. So probably, are we going back now? Um, that in our upcoming episodes, are we going to go back to our kind of our old ways? Uh, we'll see. We'll 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 maybe let's cross that cross that bridge when we cross it. How's that sound? Okay. And if people have uh, questions or comments for us, they can reach us at? Uh, it's going to be info at teamw.com. Theteamw.com. And uh, thank you, everybody, for for listening. And, and please do contact us if you have any questions or if you have any suggestions for topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast. Guthrie, anything else you want to add? Um. No, no. Uh, I hope uh, people sort of enjoyed the series. Thanks for spearheading this. Yeah, you were the you were the the. the lead. I was the one that said, "Let's do a series," and you were like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what?" So there we go. There we All go. Right. All right. Thank All right. you, everybody. Thank no, you, Jesse. Bye. Bye. Bye.